Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name's Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That's a freak with two E's. It's a long story. Anyway, I love the NFL. I watch every game every week. I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store today on episode number 63. It's kind of our weekend review. So week five is in the books. So we are more than a third of the way through the fantasy regular season. And I think that means that there's enough data points for us to make better decisions. And really, for our our dynasty leagues in particular, to decide whether we're a contender or not. So I want to walk through some uh, overall impressions for the week after watching all the games and give some comments as well as some dynasty, uh, uh, comments on the Dynasty and NFL transactions that were made in my leagues this week. So let's start with just some top five observations from week number five. Uh, the first is the title to this podcast this week is fi- Fantasy Explosion. Last week was completely nuts, right? Will Fuller scores more fantasy points than any wide receiver in the last 15 years. Aaron Jones scores four touchdowns against Dallas. Christian McCaffrey pretty much did what he does every week, except he did it even better. Chris Godwin remains the top-scoring wide receiver in the league. And uh, guys like Adam Thielen, he was the squeaky will, and he got the grease. Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, DJ Chark all scored more than 30 points. And, of course, Matt Ryan and Deshaun Watson had their own crazy shootout between them, even if uh, Ryan's came mostly in garbage time. So depending on which end of the the breakouts you were last week, you either came away very thrilled or very infuriated, right? My poor wife, for instance, she lost when even though she was the second highest scoring team for the week. You always hate it when that happens, right? She scored 141 points in our Yahoo League and lost to the guy that scored 206 points with Watson, McCaffrey, and Jones on his team. Lots of teams in my league scored more than 200 points this week in one of my longest running leagues. A team scored the second highest points in league history, 223.5 points. So needless to say, week five was a fantasy explosion. It was a fun week. I hope that you had some of the stars on your team. That's what we all needed, right? Second overall observation coming out of week five is that we can now welcome a few new wide receivers to the top 12 in dynasty rankings. I finally did it. I moved Chris Godwin into the top 12 ahead of Mike Evans in my dynasty rankings. Man, his role is just simply too valuable. He's going to have a way higher catch rate because he's playing inside in the slot. His catch rate is 77%, where Mike Evans right now is 47%, and he's been targeted five more times. So do the math. It just, it's just not going to work out as well for Evans, even though he's an incredible talent. Uh, Godwin's really the one that needs to be ranked ahead of him and now has moved into my top 12. I did the same actually with Cooper Cup. I moved him into my top 12 ahead of Cooks and ahead of Woods. It just seems like he's become Goff's clear number one target, and he gets all the same um, treatment that Godwin does, being that slot option. Uh, he's he actually run twenty or had twenty more targets than Godwin, but a little bit uh, smaller catch rate of only sixty five percent. So he's actually just behind Godwin in total fantasy points scoring in the wide receiver position. Godwin's number two, one cups number two, DJ Chark is number five. While I was not willing to move him up into the top 12, I did move him up quite a bit, even past D.D. Westbrook, whom I've always had ranked a lot higher than other analysts. So 
there's some welcome some newcomers to the top 12 in the wide receiver position. That's one thing we learned from week five. Third thing that we learned from week five was that Kansas City can be slowed down, but San Francisco's running backs cannot. Patrick Mahomes has looked human for the last two games, right? He's only thrown one touchdown in that span compared to the 10 that he threw in, in the first three weeks of the season. All of his weapons associated with the Kansas City offense have felt the effects of this temporary downturn for sure. Damian Williams is still getting healthy um, again, and Tyreek Hill is likely coming back this week. So that should be a bump in the road for this kind of uh, struggle, should really just be a bump in the road for Kansas City. Um, some people think, though, that they've, uh, they've got some concern because others have figured out a defensive scheme how to slow them down. Um, a lot the way that New England did in the playoffs last year, but I'm not concerned. They'll get their weapons back. Mahomes is going to still be Mahomes, even though there's been a bump in the road. Where there has been no bump in the road, though, is a 49ers running back. Shanahan is running has a is a running game wizard, like his dad used to be. The 49ers are averaging more than 200 yards a game on the ground. What's crazy is it doesn't matter who they're giving the ball. So it could be Breida, it could be Coleman, it could be Mostert, it could be Wilson. They've all had great games this season even though the workload has been split up quite a bit. Breida's uh, not received any of the goal line carries, but it doesn't seem to matter when he can do what he did Monday night and break off 83-yard runs like he did, you know? Uh, Wilson was the goal line back while Coleman was injured. It, fe- it seems that Coleman, after this uh, Monday night game, has taken that role back as the goal line back. So I would say that Breida and Coleman, even though they don't get as many touches as you would like, because of Shanahan's awesome uh, game planning in the run game, they're every week starters. Start them. I have a confession to make that in one league I did start Brita and I won on Monday night coming back from 20-something points back. In another league, um, I chose Landry over Brita and paid the penalty by losing by 2.5 points. I'm sorry, Matt Brita. You're one of my favorites, and I did not trust in you like I should have, and I will going forward. Russell Wilson is fun to watch, but Matt Ryan is not. That's the fourth thing that I learned this week. Russell Wilson is fun to watch, but Matt Ryan is not. No one thought that Russell Wilson could continue his incredible efficiency in throwing touchdowns and racking up fantasy points, but he's proven that he can. He's throwing uh, a few more passes per game than he did last year, but he's completing 73% of his passes. He has 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions. He's in total command of the offense, and it's just super fun to watch him play. Matt Ryan, on the other hand, he's helping our fantasy teams, but it sure looks ugly. He's thrown for 300 yards every game, and he's completing 70% of his throws but they're just full of checkdowns and underneath stuff because, man, his offensive line is pathetic. Um, Like Wilson, he's thrown 11 touchdowns. Unlike Wilson, he's thrown seven interceptions. It's hard to watch, but he's an every-week starter no matter what it looks like when you're watching. Fifth thing that I would say overall that I learned from Week 5 is that several surprising quarterbacks are now unstartable. Several quarterbacks that we're used to plugging into our starting lineups every week are no longer performing well enough to do so. Aaron Rodgers is no longer startable. He's only had one good fantasy game this season, and it looks like uh, look, it's going to be a permanent trend given this new offensive system. Phillip Rivers had two good games, but three just awful games. His offensive lines, injuries, and lack of mobility are really making him only a streamable quarterback at best. And, and Jared Goff, uh, he's had a couple decent fantasy games, but if you're honestly just watching the game, you know that the last two weeks in particular, it's largely just been garbage time points at the end of the games. Um, the things like teams have taken New England's Super Bowl defensive strategy and they're using it against them, uh, like you've probably heard before already. I think, too, the, that, the, add to that the fact that Gurley's just not being the same Gurley that he was the last two years, and that, that radically affects the offense. Offensive line plays poor. Gurley's not Gurley of the last two years, 
and that is really affecting Goff, making him unstartable as well. So those were my five things that I think I learned overall from week number five. Um, now let's talk a little bit about some of the injury impact from the week. There were a ton of injuries, so I'm not even going to mention them all, but I've got a lot of them here that I am going to talk about. And just talk a little bit about what they think these mean more, less, a little less from a dynasty perspective and more well, like what does it mean for player value this year with maybe a touch of dynasty in there as well. First, of course, was Mason Rudolph. Man, this injury was tough to watch as Rudolph was knocked down cold with concussion. He was ultimately able to walk off the field with assistance after um, a long stoppage in play. Uh, Pittsburgh, of course, then had to turn to their third-string quarterback, a guy named Devlin Hodges, who no one has heard of. He's from Samford University. Uh, he wasn't as horrible as you'd expect for a third-string quarterback. Uh, he almost led the team to a comeback, actually, comeback win. But I just think overall, from a perspective, fantasy perspective, uh, this unfortunately downgrades the fantasy value of everyone in Pittsburgh for this year. Uh, Mason may come back next week. That would be good if Mason Rudolph came back, which would give a slight bump back up to everyone. James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster are still guys that I'd be willing to start uh, most weeks, but they're really just kind of like a, a floor type of start, someone that you're just hoping because you know they might get you know peppered with, with targets and or touches. And I no longer see them as guys who can win a week for me. I think that's just not going to happen. Uh, this year for them. Next is Wayne Gallman. After a great week last week in place of uh, injured Saquon Barkley, Gallman uh, was also treated for a concussion early in the contest and did nothing for his fantasy teams. Uh, some people I saw made waiver wire moves for John Hilleman or Elijah Penny, um, but I didn't, I didn't feel like doing that. I feel like Barkley's going to be back sooner than expected. In the meantime, um, I just value the Giants passing game just a little bit more until um, Gallman comes back. Not interested in any of those third-string running backs for the Giants. But the receiving game is really what I thought could have an uptick, but that's until these next two guys get injured, uh, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. So speaking of the Giants passing game, it also took a hit when Shepard was treated for a concussion and Evan Ingram hurt his knee this week. Uh, Both have been ruled out for the game uh, tonight on Thursday night. Golden Tate uh, should be more involved this week, and so should uh, rookie Darius Slayton who uh, became my top waiver wire ad for the week. So we'll talk more about him in a minute. Next guy that got injured was Philip Dorsett. Uh, Hurt his hamstring early in the game and gave fantasy odors, including myself, a big goose egg for the week. And that was really fun. A New England offense should, uh, I think, be able to just kind of keep ticking like normal. I don't think this affects really the value of many of their players. Um, doesn't radically affect their fantasy value this year too much. It did, however, make me a little bit more willing from a dynasty perspective to pick up Jacoby Myers off the waiver wire this week. Uh, he was a standout in the preseason. He was actually picked up in most of my leagues during the preseason, but was dropped uh, in a lot of cases after they signed Antonio Brown or just when it came time to cut down rosters before week one. Um, so he was still out there in most of my leagues. And I made a few pickups you'll hear in a minute, uh, my thoughts on, on Jacoby Myers. Another injury was James O'Shaughnessy, tied in for Jacksonville. Really sad, too, because he was just beginning to look like a viable fantasy contributor. Uh, but last, uh, this last week, he tore his ACL. And I don't think this will affect the value of any of the Jacksonville Jaguars players from a fantasy perspective, except the tight ends, of course. Uh, that means that Jeff Swaim is likely to get most of the snaps and touches initially. But Josh Oliver is the more uh, high, high upside rookie prospect, and he's getting close to practicing again after his hamstring injury. So... I would be more interested in Josh Oliver from a dynasty value if you want to kind of churn the back end of your roster. Another injury was Marquise Brown. This is really what I feared about this amazingly talented but very slight wide receiver. Just not big enough. 
And just the theme back, he's going to be one of these guys that's injured a lot. Um, he did have an awesome jump ball catch for a touchdown, but hurt his ankle on that play and then left the game. Uh, this does nothing necessarily to his dynasty value. Unless you're an owner and the fears of him being injured often might want to cause you to sell him. So if you're in that boat and you think you want to try to look for someone that's, you know, got his talent or another, you know, young young rookie like McLaurin or something like that that you want to say, hey, these guys seem like they're value, but of course McLaurin's had his injuries in the last week too. We'll see what happens. I think that for Baltimore, if he doesn't play this next week or two while he's dealing with his ankle injury, that Miles Boykin um, definitely um, and Willie Sneed will get more targets. I'd really like to see Boykin get more targets just to see, you know, what kind of rookie he he could be as we evaluate him um, kind of at the back end of our rosters as well. Next injury to report on was Darren Sproles. I mentioned this, but not because of Sproles' value, but really the value of the guys that he'd been stealing from. Uh, Sproles strained his quad in the game, and it looks like he'll be out for several weeks. Uh, This could be the opportunity that Miles Sanders needs uh, to get more of the passing downs work and to eat into Jordan Howard's overall workload. Howard has the gold line work nailed down, it seems. like That's pretty clear. But Sanders is way more involved in the passing game and has way more explosive plays overall um, in the Philly offense. So I hope that the small uptick of snaps while Sproles is out will likely be the type of uh, carries and or catches that would go Sanders' way, and I'm hoping the small uptick results in the changing of the guard in Philadelphia and just let Miles Sanders be the lead running back. But then again, uh, it seems like sometimes Philadelphia doesn't believe in a lead running back. Next fun injury report is Sammy Watkins. The oft-injured Watkins is at it again, right? He's such a super frustrating player to own. Tyreek Hill appears to be ready to return um, this week or maybe next week. And these hamstring injuries do tend to linger, so I suspect that Sammy will miss a few weeks. In his absence, Byron Pringle stepped up on Sunday night. Uh, more on him below, or more on him in a minute on the waiver wire uh, section. Second to last one here, David Johnson. Uh, he played well last week, even though we've come to find out that he'd been suffering through back pain throughout the game. And so Chase Edmonds got more touches and more receptions than he has all year, and he made the most of them. He had 11 total touches for 86 yards and a touchdown. Edmonds' value uh, takes a you know, jump in the short term, but it doesn't really move it up too much in a long-term dynasty uh, standpoint uh, because he was already one of the highest-ranked handcuffs in my dynasty ranking, so he didn't move up very much uh, given Johnson's injury, except for the short term. Looks like this week uh, he could be the guy to start, particularly in your redraft leagues. Jalen Samuels, the last guy that we'll talk about, wasn't hurt during the game, but Coach Tomlin revealed uh, this week that Samuels underwent a knee scope and would miss about a month of play. Uh, he was really starting to eat into Connor's play the last few weeks. And so this is really Connor's opportunity to prove that he's much better than Samuels because he's going to have a couple weeks to be the main guy. And uh, unfortunately for Connor, Pittsburgh's quarterback problems might make that hard to do. Uh, Benny Snell, he'll finally get a little more play time than he has so far, but I've, I've never liked what I saw in Snell. So I think it's going to be mostly Connor, and I'm going to trust him to make the most of it, even though the offense is going to struggle with the quarterback situations. Next thing that I'd like to move to in these podcasts is week five waiver wire moves. Um, as a reminder, I do play in dynasty leagues that are 27 to 30 players rostered. So this is a list of players in deep leagues like that. I just want to talk for a minute about the five guys that I was really targeting and thought were the best ads this week. Uh, hopefully you were able to pick them up, or if they're not, maybe you go to your wire right now and take say, do something with this here. First would be uh, Darius Slayton. Slayton was... Uh, already getting more involved in the Giants' offense the last few weeks. He had about 44% of the snaps uh, two weeks in a row. But then after the Shepard injury this week, it bumped up to 65% of the snaps. 
And the thing that you like about Slayton, particularly in this offense, is he's the speed receiver that the Giants need to open things up on this offense. Daniel Jones threw a strike to him down the seam for a touchdown last week, which really made me notice him and move him up to the top of my watch list. Um, I picked him up in a couple of my leagues. I, I picked him up in a few. I actually paid $18 for him, a fab, in my FFPC league. So that was a, I've, I've spent a lot of my fab money. That's a $1,000 fab budget in that league. And so I've spent a lot of it. So I was pretty conservative. I was surprised that I was able to get him for even just $18. Second player that I mentioned that was kind of uh, my target in the waiver wire was Reggie Bonifon. Um, I think we finally know who the handcuffed is to uh, Christian McCaffrey It's uh, in Carolina. Welcome Reggie Bonifon from Louisville. When McCaffrey uh, stepped in, stepped out near the end of the game due to some cramps that he was having, Bonifon filled in for him just fine. He actually kind of looked like McCaffrey scoring a 59-yard run. Um, so he was picked up in all my leagues this, this last week. Um, I picked him up in leagues. Um, I paid $31 for him in a $100 uh, fab situation. I also paid $17 to get him in a uh, $100 fab situation. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get him in the places where I have Christian McCaffrey. Oh, no, I was in one. So one of the leagues, I had uh, Christian McCaffrey. And so that's the one I was willing to spend um, a little bit more on. And so uh, I won him in both leagues, really just to kind of sit in case. I mean, McCaffrey so far seems like he's indestructible. He's by far leads the league in touches and play and snaps. And so there's always the chance that he could get injured. I certainly hope not because he's so fun to watch and have him in a couple leagues. But if he does, at least we know finally who the handcuff is. So I was willing to put a couple big bids out there for uh, Reggie Bonifon. Third guy, I mentioned him earlier as well, was Byron Pringle. With Sammy Watkins and Tyree Hill uh, sidelined with injuries, Pringle was the next next man up. He was the next man to step up in Kansas City. He caught six of eight passes for 103 yards and a touchdown Sunday night, making him the possible waiver wire addition, right? I don't see a lot of dynasty value in Pringle, given that Watkins and Hill are you know, going to return from their injuries and the much better players and I think will be at Kansas City for some time. But uh, that said, Watkins is, is often injured, and Demarcus Robinson um, has only looked good for one game so far, and Nicole Hardman is still learning uh, the offense. Uh, who's to say that Pringle might not be the one that could kind of solidify the third wide receiver there role ultimately? So not as much of a dynasty play, but for the next couple weeks play, um, I know if Sammy's sitting out and I pick them up in a league, he might be in my lineup, given that it's likely going to be a shootout against Houston uh, this Sunday. Fourth guy that I've mentioned is Jacoby Myers. Um, with Philip Dorsett out in, uh, for New England, uh, Myers played 46% of the snaps last week. I think if Dorsett lingers, if his injuries linger, which you know hamstrings often do, uh, Myers will be a part of the game plan. And once he's actually made to be part of the game plan, I think he's even going to see more than that 46% of snaps. We'll see, certainly see tonight in uh, Thursday Night Football. I generally try to avoid the New England receivers, given that their play, other than Edelman, is just so up and down, so inconsistent. But since he's a rookie and showed promise in the preseason, um, I picked him up in one league. Fifth guy that I'll mention, this one was a fun one, was uh, Duke Williams. Uh, Duke scored the game-winning touchdown for Buffalo last week, and when he did, everyone asked, who is Duke Williams? And I asked that too, and I do this a lot, and I didn't know who he was. I learned that he was the leading wide receiver in the CFL last year, in the Canadian Football League last year. And then Monday, we learned a little bit more about him because we learned that Buffalo likes him enough to trade away Zay Jones to the Raiders. So they traded away Zay Jones, and I believe it's largely linked to their belief that they've got something in Duke Williams. Uh, Those two facts that were enough to cause me to pick him up in a few leagues while I wait to see what he can become. 
Um, he was only rostered in one of my leagues by one savvy owner um, who didn't ask the question, who is Duke Williams, <laughs> right? So those are the guys that I picked up this week. Hope that you guys have, uh, have picked them up as well. If not, go do so. Last thing I'll talk about in the podcast for this week is a five trade. So this is what was unique. Um, there were no trades in my 10 leagues this week. Um, so that's really rare that there'd be no trades in all of my leagues. And so this week, I'll just write about the trades that I offered and or the one that I rejected this week. So you'll get a fit. We can still talk some trade, but we'll do it from trades that were offered and what I was thinking. First trade was uh, Miles Sanders and a 2020 first round pick for Alvin Kamara. That's what I offered. This is the background for this one. One owner uh, put several star players on the trading block with a message that he's planning to go into rebuild mode. Kamara was one of those players. So I was not sure how he would try to go about doing a rebuild, but if I was going to do a rebuild mode, if I went into rebuild mode, my strategy would be to try to take a great young player, particularly a rookie that I believed in, and ask for another first-round pick. Yeah, first-round pick. So that's what I tried to offer for him. So I offered him Sanders in my 2021st uh, for Alvin Kamara. Uh, he and I both love Sanders. I know that. So that's one thing I knew about this owner. So that's why I thought that he might have interest in him. He texted to say that he really was considering it. So it must not have been an outlandish offer. But uh, this week, he actually decided to reject the trade. Similarly, with the same owner, I offered Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard in a 2022nd for Travis Kelsey. Uh, this trade was made to the same owner, like I said. Um, this time, I tried to do something similar. Um, I thought that he might not see Ertz as too much of a downgrade from Kelsey. Plus, I was offering him Ertz, Handcuff, and Goddard, uh, who could very well replace him in a year or two, or certainly be just as good as Ertz if Ertz was to have an injury. Um, I was not willing to give up a first down or first round pick on this one, uh, just because I just thought it was too slight of a value for uh, just kind of, kind of trying to bump up the value to get Kelsey compared to, compared to Ertz. So I did offer him a 2020 second round pick. And ultimately, he ended up rejecting uh, this trade as well. But that's kind of what, what I was thinking and trying to go after those high-valued players on a roster where someone posted them on the trading block saying that they were going to rebuild. Didn't work for me. Maybe I'll approach him as if, if his record continues to uh, not look good. Maybe he'd be willing to do something like that after all. Next trade, uh, I offered Nelson Aguilar for Daryl Williams. Um, this is admittedly not a fair offer. So in this league, I have Damian Williams, and so I would love to have Darrell Williams as well just in case Damian gets hurt again because uh, Darrell did pretty good um, in his place, uh, just kind of tag-teaming with Sean McCoy those few weeks before Damian came back. I also knew that he had offered Darrell um, in a trade to another owner that has LaShawn McCoy, so I knew he was already kind of thinking this way, trying to offer him you know, as a semi-handcuff to a Kansas City running back owner in McCoy. So I thought I'd take my shot at it. Uh, this owner acts, lacks a lot of depth at wide receiver, which is why, and which is really where I have a lot of strength in this particular league, this team. And so, but when I looked through all my receivers, Aguilar was the break point among my other receivers. So in that, that league, I think I have uh, Keenan Allen, uh, Adam Thielen, T.Y. Hilton, Robert Woods, Jarvis Landry, then Nelson Aguilar. I put Aguilar was kind of like the break point where I wasn't willing to move up to Landry to, to offer to trade him away. So I had to stick with Aguilar and he promptly rejected it, which is fair enough. Next trade, I offered uh, Nelson Aguilar and a 2023rd for uh, Damien Harris. Now, if you've been following me, you know that I love Damien Harris and this was more just like about me fishing for value. I wanted to see if this owner was tired of waiting on Harris uh, to even be active on the Patriots game. Like he's done nothing this year. 
Uh, but it turns out that this owner is actually still hopeful, as I am, that Harris can win. And uh, I thought about maybe count he rejected it, so I thought about maybe countering for a 2020 second round pick instead of the 2023rd, but ultimately decided against it. In this league, I have two 2020 first round picks and two 2020 second round picks, and I just wanted to keep those. Um, and I'll have to miss out on having Harris, even though I really wish I had him on my team. And finally, the last trade, this is the one that I rejected because it was the one that was offered to me, though I really, really considered it. Um, I was offered James White for Gardner Minshew. Uh, so this is the only trade I was offered this week, and I almost accepted it, but I decided uh, that I needed to reject it. Um, I have Minshew in this it's a one-quarterback league. I have him paired with Jameis Winston and Phillip Rivers, so I don't necessarily need him. Um, but I decided that I wanted to, to let this kind of Minshew mania thing play out a little bit longer. I think his value can go up from there because uh, the Jacksonville fan base has really rallied around him with his Minshew mania, and I think it's to the degree now that I don't think Foles is going to get his job back. I really love James White. Like He is one of my players that I have on four or five of my dynasty teams, uh, but I like him more in PPR leagues than this league, which is a half PPR. And so that really was what made the difference ultimately. Wanting to hang on to a little Minshew mania, hope that his value could go up a little bit, um, and then being a half PPR league, James White doesn't have quite the value uh, that he would otherwise. So there's my week five in review. That's a wrap, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. As always, make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at Dynasty Freaks. That's Freaks with two E's. Contact me anytime, DynastyFreaks at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than I am on Twitter, so I would love to respond to your emails and offer any advice. If you would like to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, that would be a big favor for me. I would love for you to do that. If you do, I'll read your comments on the air and give you a shout-out. Go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. I appreciate it. Uh, That's it. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.